Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose and experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we like to have guests on that help transform our life, be able to help us succeed, to be able to have insights, ideas about how to be successful, both personally and professionally. You know, today is no exception with that. We had an individual reach out to us and his publicist and said, listen, can you interview Adam Hudson? Adam's been a very, very successful serial entrepreneur. He's an expert on Amazon. We'll talk about that later. But uh, help me welcome Adam Hudson to the show. Welcome, Adam. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, Adam, really, you have two homes. You have this birthplace of Australia, but now you're making L.A. as your home as well. So where, are you living in both locations? or? I actually live in Singapore, and uh, I have a home in Australia, but I live in Singapore, and I come to the U.S. a lot because I have a lot of business here in the U.S., so I travel a lot and get to see a lot of the world. So, yeah, I'm all over the place at the moment. It's, uh, it's quite an interesting time. Uh, I bet you. I bet you. So, Adam, you know, one of the things we like to do on the show for our listeners is really kind of get your journey. I mean, you've built several million-dollar businesses, in fact, one that uh, hit nearly $100 million or over that. But what's, what's Adam's story? Where, where do you come from? Where were you born? And then just tell us a little bit about your journey on where you came from and what you went through. Yeah, for sure. Look, I'm a, uh, an Australian, as you can tell from my accent. I was born into a very um, middle-class family uh, in a little town. I was, I was born in Adelaide but raised in a little town called Canberra, which is actually the capital of Australia, and I was brought up in a... Uh, an area called Queanbeyan. If anybody's listening, they might know that area. It's a very small place. And um, so, you know, from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was one of those kids that used to mow lawns and drop newspapers around the, the local area. And, um, you know, I started my first business when I was, I think, about 22 years old, and I'm 43 now. So I've been doing this uh, for, you know, around 20 years as I speak to you today. And, um, you know, oftentimes if I get interviewed, I read the bio and it's, you know, it's the highlights sort of stuff. There's always a lot of um, failures along the way as well. And um, <clears throat> I've owned all kinds of businesses from everything from a jet flight simulator business where we had a 747 flight simulator to a hairdressing salon to, you know, more recently a fundraising company, which you briefly mentioned there. We, we raised over $100 million a year for early stage businesses back before it was even called crowdfunding. We did crowdfunding. Now, hang on, hang on, Adam. <laughs> you, you, you have a hairdressing business and a flight simulator. You know, those are nearly <laughs> identical. How, how, how does this happen for you? Well, you know, I think in that first decade of learning business, I tried all kinds of stuff. And um, the, the idea with the hair salon was basically, I went to a seminar once and a guy talked about marketing principles and how you could do it in something as simple as a hair salon. And, he, and then he talked about how you could acquire hair salons cheaply. This is, as I said, a long time ago. And so I bought a little hair salon in Sydney and, um, and actually owned that and applied the marketing principles and so on. So I was basically... I suppose an entrepreneur, my, my fascination was how does marketing apply? How do you hire people? How do you get these results? So really varied, you know, background. 
So how did, you know, when you think about uh, a lot of people get and want to be entrepreneurs or they start the businesses now, the Canadian and U.S. stats, I don't know Australia, but, you know, over 75% of small businesses fail within the first five years. What were some, what are some of the sort of things you went through in the beginning that you learned that you'd like to share with the listeners? Oh, look, I mean, I, I was definitely part of those stats for a long time. And I think looking at business, you have to look at it like a college degree. You know, um, you spend the first five years getting education. You're a doctor, I'm sure you know uh, all about that. So it's a lot of time of study. And then you do an internship or, a, you know, you start at the bottom. And it's not till the first decade's over that you start getting any kind of payoff for the work that you put in, in most cases. And entrepreneurship's the same. So you know, I think it's a really healthy thing to accept that if you're going into business, uh, it's important to understand that failure is very likely, the statistics bear that out, um, and it's also very necessary in order to learn the really valuable lessons. And I think probably some of the valuable lessons I've learned along the way um, is I was recently asked, you know, um, in your businesses, um, like for example, my animation company, which I had in Hollywood, I built it and sold it within four years. Um, and did really well and and he said what was the key to success and I said timing you know and he was like wow that's not the answer that you'd usually get and I think that's a really important lesson is that business is hard enough and we all know people that are not as intelligent as us but that make a lot more money and I finally figured out that if you're going to be in business you have to be in something where the timing is right and you have to be in a good business there's a lot of really great people just in really bad businesses a bit like relationships you know and and I always say you know it's important to know when to push and to know when to quit in these things and there's too much too many books out there that say never never quit this uber male approach to success or masculine approach to success that it's all about you and if it's failing it's because you're not good enough sometimes you're just in a really mm -hmm. bad thing you know at the wrong time i suppose that you if you're in cd reproduction right now that might be a declining business possibly <laughs> yeah you could be honestly you could be the most smartest guy in the world it's going to be a tough business um so yeah and that's a, that's a fine example at an extreme for sure well Adam is a serial entrepreneur and you know that's different than other people who want to kind of build a business. What's sort of your motivation around building these and selling them? You know, where does that come from or what are you thinking? I think, you know, for me the full arc of entrepreneurship is to build and sell, right? Because and the the reason I say that is because if you actually build something, even if you don't sell it, but if you prepare it for sale and somebody would buy it from you, there's a very, very big difference between owning a job that you're in control of and owning a business that works without you being there. Um, because a lot of entrepreneurs consider themselves entrepreneurs because they're their own boss. But I consider a business something that you literally own and, and you get a check at the end of the year in an ideal world for doing nothing. But of course, you've always got something to do. But I think the full arc of entrepreneurship is building something that can be sold even if you don't sell it because the disciplines involved in exiting a business, financial disciplines and structuring and keeping things neat and tidy uh, is are really great disciplines that are forced on the business when you go to sell it, transparency of finances and so on. So many entrepreneurs are overwhelmed out there because their businesses are, they've never had that forced financial um, uh, and management um, rigor put over their business. So I think even if you don't sell, it's a good discipline to have. And the other, the other reason I believe that for most entrepreneurs, 
building and selling a business is a great idea is because it's probably the third asset class that can substantially change the reality of people's day-to-day life uh, through a sale because um, you know Robert Kiyosaki in his work talks about the fast track and the rat race you know and once you actually have enough money where the house is paid off and you know the education college fund or whatever for your kids is done uh, selling a business can get you there much much faster than most avenues and once you get there you can make better financial decisions I think because you're under less pressure in your day-to-day life and then you start entering the fast track of wealth creation. Uh, we quote Robert in our work all the time and so I appreciate the work I, Robert and, and I have met personally many, many, many years ago as when he was just kind of starting this. But yeah, a lot of times, as you said, entrepreneurs really, they are self-employed. They really don't have a business that's independent. But you make a very exactly. good point, Adam, where you're saying, can I prepare my business as if I'm going to sell it even though I'm not? And is it, yeah. a, is it in a condition to be able to do it? So well, that's awesome. So thank you for that. When, when you think, Adam, of some of the things that you learned in that first 10 years that you said, oh, I wish I would have known that in year one when you got to year 10, what were some of the things that you assumed you did when you were younger that you now say, whoa, I, you know, what was I thinking? So I'm thinking <laughs> about the things that you want to avoid, the things that uh, assumptions of you know, the younger you know, I hate the word millennials and, and younger individuals, but the, there's a lot of people out there saying, you know, I, I have what I need. I'm 20. I've got it going for myself. What were some of the things that really you had to humble yourself to say, I was just not, I was just <laughs> not thinking correctly there? Oh, yeah. We could talk about this for hours. But a, a few that have jumped <laughs> to mind. Um, look, I think one of the first ones is that you don't have to be a pioneer. In fact, I'd probably advise against it. There's a lot of money to be made being the second or third best guy in the business or the second or third person to market. Um, when I was young, I always thought that success was dependent on a, an amazing, unique, new idea that nobody had ever thought of. But as I always say that you can always tell the pioneers because they're the ones lying face down in the mud with the arrows in their back. And there's plenty of examples mm-hmm. of this. Like Facebook was not first. You know, MySpace owned that category until Facebook came along. Um, these days we, we're sort of a bit polarized by media headlines that only showcase people who came up with these breakthrough ideas. But there's a lot of people that have just gone into markets that already exist slightly improved on what was there, provided amazing service and a truly differentiated reason for buying that product or service from them that have done really, really well. Um, so I think you know, if you focus on, if you think about that as a starting point, you don't have to be brand new, you just have to be better. Um, there has to be a, you know, a very clear reason why in, in the context of the market that you're in, that people will buy from you and not someone else. Um, so I think that's the first one. I think another one is um, extend your timelines because most young people, they dramatically overestimate what they can do in the short term and underestimate what they can do in the long term. And that's a Tony Robbins quote, which I really, really agree mm-hmm. with. We sort of think we're mm-hmm. going to set the world on fire in 12 months or two years. But really in business, the first couple of years, forget about making money. If you survive the first two years, great. Um, if you can pay yourself a salary, that's great. Um, but it takes time to get momentum, and when you have momentum, it's incredibly valuable to keep. You know, um, so those are just a couple that I think would really help entrepreneurs, um, patience, and reinvestment back into their business. Right. When you think about um, the qualities uh, 
of a successful entrepreneur today, in, in addition to what you've already said, Adam, what would be some of those to say, listen, you know, if I'm going to mentor a young person uh, and help them out, what would you say to them? Here's, here's the things you need to embrace. Yeah, I think curiosity is important as an entrepreneur, the ability to be curious about ideas and markets, um, the ability to be patient and, and to not put off the day where you actually go and ask somebody for money uh, to buy your product or service because so many young entrepreneurs or people generally, they want everything to be perfect before they actually put their shoes on or pick up the phone and, and try and get a customer. Especially today they read stories of, you know, the, the way to build a business today is you go out with an idea, you raise a ton of money and then you go to work and hopefully figure it out. Whereas, you know, when I was coming up as an entrepreneur, you actually, <laughs> that wasn't available. You know, you had a bank loan maybe or loan from your mum and dad or your, your friends. You actually had to have that moment of truth much earlier. Um, Seth Godin, you know, one of my favorite authors, always says, you know, mm -hmm. with the young businesses today, what they're basically doing is putting off the day where they have to validate their idea <laughs> and by, by getting a, a big cash cushion. There's nothing, you know, more powerful than a customer. And if you can go out and get customers, uh, uh, you know, that's really important. And if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of what you launched, then you launched it too late, you know. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be published. Interesting. Say know? that again, Adam. I think that's a good point for everybody. Just do that again. <laughs> yeah, if you, you're, not, if you're embarrassed not embarrassed by what? By the first iteration of whatever you launch, your website or your product or whatever, then you launch too late. You know, wow. you spent, yeah, because the markets these days move so quickly. Um, and to validate an idea, you need to be objective and not optimistic. You, need, you know, you need to put your best foot forward, go out into the market, see what comes back and be genuinely curious about the responses you get and, um, and be calm in it because a lot of times people take it very, very personally. This is all about me. Whereas as you get older, you realize, you know, it's not about, entirely you. Sometimes it's just a bad product or service like the flight simulator that I mentioned failed but at the same time I started two other companies that succeeded. It was the same entrepreneur in the same city at the same time but one business mm. failed and two succeeded. It, it wasn't all to do with me. It was about a whole bunch of nuances and things that affect whether a business will succeed or not that are not related to you. You know, So yeah, you learn a lot from that. Awesome. What do you say to individuals or the teaching out there about you know, you really, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to be passionate about the business that you're doing. Like, I have no interest in selling sand to golf courses, even if there's big money in it. What's your response <laughs> to that kind of thing? Well, look, I mean, I think it's fantastic if you can um, do your passion. I think sometimes, you know, uh, we get it a little mixed up in terms of, um, you know, we think we have to be passionate. I mean, obviously, there's, there's rules. Everyone has rules about what they will and won't do for money, moral, ethical, spiritual, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But I think when you're first beginning, the tenets of entrepreneurship can be learned through any kind of business. You know, when you go to market, there's lots of lessons to be learned there. Whether you get to do your dream, vision, passion business right out of the gate or not, uh, I'm not convinced. I think people can get passionate about something that they're successful at. But I think overall, long term, you definitely need to be doing something that you enjoy because if you're not enjoying it, you're giving up such a chunk of your life 
to something that's not enjoyable. You know, what, um, I think enjoyment and passion are two different things. Um, I think you can enjoy something that you're not necessarily passionate about. Um, and, and equally, you can be passionate about something that if you did it for a business would ruin your passion for it. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. And those are sort of the balance stuff that we talked about in our quest for purpose work as well. One of the other things, uh, I just want to back up just a bit, and I think this is an important piece because we had actually a fellow Australian on the call here not that long ago. And, and that is around this whole idea of you know, going to market and sales. Uh, you think about a lot of people who, you know, maybe they're a technology tech guy, and they say, well, I don't really like sales, Adam. I'm not a salesperson. What do you say to those people there where they, maybe it's not about uh, being embarrassed. Maybe it's just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant around sales or the sales process or I don't like it or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, look, I think, first of all, sales has changed a lot. And it depends on who's saying that. The older generation, when I say older generation, I put myself in that category. Um, you know, anyone who's, you know, born in the 70s and backwards, our perception of sales is probably quite different to millennials coming through because these days, the, the, you know, the old salesman style of tactics and stuff is very different um it, it's really just a, 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 a they're getting taught differently as well we, we came up with you know tom hopkins books and you know um zig ziglar and trial closes and all that stuff and nobody really wants to do that anymore um, but i think if you've got an aversion to going to market and asking people to buy your product or service you have to accept that if it's not going to be you it has to be someone else but you really need to analyze where is that coming from? Is that just coming from a personality where you're afraid of that or you're shy or whatever and that's okay but it, or is it coming from the fact that there's something wrong with your product or service? Um, if it's obviously from mm -hmm. the latter then you shouldn't be doing it at all. Um, but and nothing happens in business till a sale is made so somebody is going to have to do the selling, you know. Um, so if it's not you, it has to be someone else. But again, it's, these days it's a lot more sort of value-based selling um, and that works best as opposed to, you know, pressure selling. Mm, for sure, and I agree 100%. Uh, Members Zig Ziglar had the 101 ways to close the sale, right? And right. So, uh, and, and I met Zig personally many, many years ago. Don't take anything away from them, but really right now it's just about how do I serve you and meet your needs and go from there. So, you know, when you think about your, your next level of success, Adam, what were some of the things? I mean, when, if, you, if you had a business that failed and then you have a business that does $100 million, uh, there's some skills that you have to develop to be able to handle that, to be able to be in that space. So what are some, I'll call it fiscal principles that you would impart on anybody, you know, personally and or business-wise that you have learned, you know, managing that kind of growth? Yeah, so to be clear on that, point we raised 100 million for entrepreneurs we as a business didn't get all 100 million that was mostly investors funds we, we took about nine percent of growth so about nine million so but still the point is the same um, I, I think um, look I you know again it's it's a case of um, sometimes getting out of your way a little bit um, a lot of times businesses are much bigger than people's self-image. Sometimes when people start, they're like, if I could just get to $100,000 a year in sales, this would be amazing. And then before you know it, a business grows and then it grows again. And you, sometimes you need to get out of the way and 
it's really important that you um, keep your psychology and your personal growth up with your external growth because uh, otherwise what happens is people's success it really is a bit like a thermostat you know they start making a certain amount and they can start sabotaging it and all that sort of stuff and I've got businesses uh, friends in business that have literally built hundred million dollar companies in terms of their, their revenue to the company um, and it's just because they you know they just don't put themselves in the way of that success so you've got to keep that you know, I remember for years, um, I remember when I first became a millionaire, for example, I'd still go shopping and <laughs> look at the two cans of beans, for example, and <laughs> which one should I buy? And it's like an 80 cent decision. It's because that internal programming is so deep sometimes, you know. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's that sort of stuff to think about, I think, as you go along and, and plan. Understandable, understandable. Well, Adam, one, one of your expertise, and thank you for all of that, one of your expertise is you now are in this Amazon space. And, you know, we have sort of the second half of the show. And I think, you know, since we have you already on, uh, we might as well uh, just tap into that expertise that you have as far as your, your new business and the business that you're operating, or one of them anyways. I suspect there will be new and other businesses as we go forward, right, Adam? Yes, exactly, so uh, yes. just share a little bit about this Amazon space and what you're doing in it right now before we find out some strategies. Yeah, so basically I, um, the last major business that I had prior to Amazon was an animation company in Hollywood. And um, it was great but it was, uh, and it was successful. I sold that business after four years. Um, but in the last couple of years of owning it, um, I started to realize that I wanted to get into something that was products-based. And the reason was is because my whole career I built service businesses, whether it be raising money, flying simulators, hairdressing salons, um, or animation. So when somebody's in a service business, people are fundamentally giving you a check for your time or the time of someone you have to employ and manage. And as I get older, I'm really becoming more guarded with my time and I want more leverage. So... Um, I started selling physical products on Amazon, so I, I went to China to source a product and I had it private labeled, which simply means that you put my brand on the product. And the reason you do that is so that you control the price of that product on Amazon or wherever else you sell it. Nobody else is selling it, so then nobody else can compete directly with you on that brand. Um, and so it's a bit like building a McDonald's. So McDonald's, you have two ways they're making money. One is from selling the hamburgers and the other is from the real estate under the building. And uh, when you right. build a brand on Amazon, if you own the brand, then you own the land under the building and you have the cash flow for the business as well. So as the cash flow grows, the business becomes more valuable and nobody else is selling it. So you accrue that wealth as well. Um, so anyway, I started off with one product which I sold on Amazon and I was just doing this as a hobby around my full-time animation studio uh, on Sunset Boulevard and basically after six months that one little product was doing about 15000 a month in sales and the way it was How much was it? The product, Sorry? 15000 15, a month in sales okay. at about at about 40% profit, net profit and that was after six months and the way it was working was the real magic so I'd ship it from China I didn't touch it at all it went straight from China into Amazon's fulfillment center in Dallas Texas they've got 60 of them across the US now um, and so I didn't touch it went straight to Amazon I put a listing page on Amazon's website and when a sale occurred and it was Amazon who brought the customer they did the shipping fulfillment the whole lot so it was completely touchless I could have been anywhere in the world to make this money 
and Amazon just send me the money straight to my bank account every two weeks. And this really caught my imagination because I thought, well, if, if that's what I'm doing for one product, what if I had 10 products? And today I've got 14 products in 35 countries with Amazon um, and I still only have one part-time employee in, in Thailand and I work about 20 minutes a day on the business and it's a seven-figure-a-year business. So it just provides an extremely leveraged business model because I don't have to find the customer. I do no advertising apart from a tiny little bit of click advertising inside of Amazon. I don't touch my own products. I don't do any warehousing. I don't have any staff or insurances or any of that stuff to worry about. So it's a pretty exciting leveraged business model which is not dependent on me being an expert. It's dependent on the product that people buy. So it's pretty cool. Cool. And what was your first, if you don't, don't mind me asking, what was your first product that you uh, embraced? I don't do reveal the actual product because it's really hard finding niches that actually are successful, um, which I'm happy to talk <laughs> about the principles of that. But I do sell in home and kitchen, um, and it wasn't okay. like a highly ranked product. It was sold for about $170 uh, back then, and um, it wasn't a high volume. It was a few sales a day to get to $15,000. You, know, you can do the math on that. It's only 100 sales a month, so 25 mm. A week, so it wasn't a high volume business, but it produced really nice cash flow, and um, I basically expanded on that one product into a whole line now. Well, I appreciate that you're prote uh, protecting your proprietary uh, line. <laughs> I get that completely, Adam. Now, there are many people who are listening here who are actually authors and have books, and I have books on Amazon, and I know that you're sort of in the retail, you know, B to C. Uh, clients. So, uh, what would you do? You have any recommendations or expertise around how people can be successful in, in, you know, intellectual content and property in Amazon? Not really. I have to learn this myself because I've got a book coming out shortly. Um, so I have no experience in that area. Um, I'm not sure how it differs from physical products. That's all I've done for the last four years on Amazon is physical products that are not books. So I probably couldn't add a lot of value there. Well, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that when you learn that. So just for the audience's uh, uh, listening, what is the, going to be sort of the name of your book that you're coming out with? The book's called Primed, Your Guide to Building a Thriving Amazon Business. And yeah, it really teaches people the fundamentals of building a reliable income on Amazon, and that's quite a a nuanced journey because it's there's a lot of courses that sort of teach you you know hacks and you know things like that but there are overriding business principles on Amazon just like anywhere else if you want something that's solid low competition that kind of stuff um, so it's a really it, we've had really great feedback on it already so I'm looking forward to getting it out there what are a couple of things in the book that the readers could anticipate from you that they would then read more in depth from you yeah, so I mean one of the overriding metaphors throughout the book is that Amazon's a jungle and just like a jungle there are microclimates in which what it takes to succeed are very different. You know, like in the higher levels of the jungle you find these little creatures that are thriving up there but if they were on the ground they wouldn't survive at all, right? So we talk about Amazon mm. being like that. It's a very nuanced jungle and, and the, the different microclimates are indicative of the product niches. So what it takes to be successful selling cosmetics or supplements is very different to what it takes to be successful selling men's fashion watches. So that's the first principle. And then we teach 
um, the four types of uh, animals that sort of habitate the uh, the jungle, and those four are sloths, which are people that are just lazy, and remarkably, there's plenty of sloths that are still making money on Amazon because they're in these little niches that nobody's paying attention to. Then there's monkeys, which are really active, marketing-minded people who are great at keyword optimization and writing headlines and all that stuff. And then there's uh, peacocks, which are the, the, the beautiful birds that create products that attract people through beautiful branding and design. Um, and then the last are the lions, and those are like the Procter and Gambles and Amazons of the world, who usually dominate in areas such as toothpaste and toilet paper, where you know it's really just brand that people are buying on. They don't really care too much about the product as long as it's not too expensive. Uh, they're just going to buy from the lions, and they usually repeat products that every American is using every week. So we we teach you using those two metaphors of the creatures and the jungle how best to know what kind of animal you are, which areas of the jungle you're you're going to be best suited to and what skills you're going to need to refine and ultimately the best kind of you know marketer for the everyday person or the best type of creature is a hybrid between the peacock and the monkey we call them pea monkeys and they're great marketers and they also create beautiful products that are well branded packaged photographed and so on mm. now uh, without um, you know just being a little controversial for you Adam because that's what hosts do right of he course. is uh, is there still space in Amazon or is it gone? I'm just asking that's that it, because it. my listeners are saying, well, I don't, I don't know, Adam, if there's any more space in Amazon for me. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great question. And uh, I've got two really good answers for it. Just this week, a website produced a report that's getting, uh, or an article that's getting a lot of traction. Um, and I just can't think of the name of the website, but I'd be happy to send you the link afterwards. But fundamentally, it, it said that there's about 2 million third-party Amazon sellers that have been there for a little while now. And in the last 12 months, 700,000 new Amazon accounts were opened. But interestingly, 90% um, of those new accounts were closed within 90 days. So literally 90% of the competition was gone within the first three months. And by the end of the first year of those 700,000 accounts, only 13,000 were still active, which is 1.8%. So... That's just a little bit on the, the stats around the gold rush because there's a lot of courses out there saying to people, Amazon's the new, easy, fast way to make money. And of course it isn't. Um, and so a lot of these people get set up with poor expectations and then fail before they've even started. Um, but the other more interesting number is that uh, Mark Laurie, the founder of Jet.com, which was acquired by Walmart for $3 billion a year ago, uh, was recently interviewed by Fortune TV and he said that in America, uh, online retail is a $300 billion market today and of that, 50%, one in $2 spent in online retail is spent on Amazon, which is a staggering number in and of itself. Mm. But what's interesting is that by 2030, which is 13 years away, uh, that $300 billion market in the US will be a $1.5 trillion market. So it's growing by a factor of 15x. I think that number is 300, yeah, 500%, sorry, in the next 13 years. And that's simply cash moving from brick and mortar retail to online retail. And you're seeing it every day in the press. Warren Buffett just sold all of his Walmart stake, $900 million worth of stock on uh, Valentine's Day because of the top oh, I 10 didn't, retailers. Uh, I, didn't, I missed that sale. <laughs> you missed it. Yeah. Well, he sold yeah, everything sorry. and said Amazon was the worst miss of his career. Um, and basically, he, he, he pointed to some data, which was that in the last decade, the top 10 retailers in America, Walmart, Sears, Best Buy, all of those 10 combined, their value 
uh, over the last 10 years, only one of them, Walmart, is, has increased in value and it's only by 2% and all the others are worth significantly less today. At the same time, Amazon's up 1,900% over the decade. So we're seeing this massive disruption of retail. So your timing looking at Amazon couldn't actually be better because it's now maturing and there's more and more money moving over to it. And if you're going to be in online e-commerce and you're not on Amazon, you're missing you know, 50% of trade <laughs> is literally on Amazon. Mm. So, so, so when yeah, you're thinking about trends in Amazon, and thank you, Adam, I appreciate your expertise in this. When you're thinking about Amazon, and all of us are paying attention to it, and those of us that are in the uh, information business too, and books and e-books and Kindle and all that kind of stuff, what do you see trending to make up that extra trillion dollars online? What's going to be moving there? Anything specific? Yeah, there's two things specifically, right? So number one, uh, drones is going to be a tipping point. Uh, in the UK, they've already started. In December, they did their first drone delivery 13 minutes from the time the guy clicked buy on Amazon to the time it was delivered to his backyard. So I think drones are going to be hugely disruptive because why would you load the kids in the car to go down and pick up the soccer boots when they can be delivered by a helicopter in your backyard in 15 minutes? So that's, mm. that's the first thing and that's why Amazon has been putting fulfillment centers right across the country for in the last year, sorry, decade they've done that build up because they knew that one day that's what they wanted to do. So that's going to drop the cost of delivery and the time of delivery when a solar powered drone can drop it off and that's not too far away in, in the view of many, many uh, informed people. The second uh, thing I think is Alexa is going to be hugely disruptive. At the moment, people think of Alexa as just a device that's cute and answers questions, but it's also a device that is, is listening to everything that's going on in your home and is recording your preferences and, um, and, and soon, you know, it won't be long before artificial intelligence starts to do or offer at least um, the automatic fulfillment of many things that you consume. There'll be RFID scanners on your bins, so where, or trash cans. When you put a bottle of water in the trash, it'll detect that it's used, and it'll Alexa will say, "Hey, um, you know, Adam, I noticed that you're running low on water. Would you like like us to order a 12 crate of, you know, Arrowhead um, on Amazon for you? Sure, go ahead, done." and it's on its mm. way. So you're going to see this because Amazon is going to know uh, through artificial intelligence and they've been buying AI companies for years um, exactly what your house needs and consumes and so on. Wow, wow. So I know that those uh, this whole thing about drones and them flying all over the place, people are talking about that. And then, of course, uh, their answer to what Apple was doing with Siri, right? Uh, but even more... Uh, intelligent as far as tracking your usage. What about products and services in that $1 trillion? What, what is it, uh, any, any insight there, Adam, that, they, that people are going to be buying more of this on Amazon? Yeah, well, I mean, clothing and electronics are the two biggest niches, and clothing is now growing really quickly on Amazon. And the, the, that actually leads into the third disruption that I left out, which was uh, uh, VR virtual reality where there are programs you'll buy the goggles which are actually in existence now and you'll simply you'll, you'll have a little body scanner so you'll scan your body and then if you want to buy an item of clothing you put the VR on and you'll actually see yourself in the clothing um, which which is going to accelerate what you know that alone is going to be fun to do the shopping you know just to see yourself in the outfit that is for sale on the site um, so I think clothing is going to be a big one but it's not one that most 
people listening to this podcast should really go into because it is a seasonal fashion-based type of thing that requires a lot mm. of inventory management. Um, but I think there's going to be a shift towards quality products as well. You know, Amazon has long maintained itself as a transparent platform. So I think we're going to see, and that's why the Chinese who are now selling on Amazon are struggling. Um, they're there and they're definitely cheaper and they are making some money. But, you know, that quality is not their, their strong point, you know. So I think if you can get quality products, uh, you just look at Apple computers, for example. You know, they have incredibly high-quality products still made in China, but just people can't match them and it doesn't matter how cheap uh, the cheap ones are. Nobody really even looks at the price of them. And I think we're going to see that as a trend more and more going forward. People are going to be sort of more and more interested in stuff that actually is reviewed well and mm. so on. Well, it's interesting, you know, from a, even just a personal clothing point of view, I have some clothing that I've had for many years, sorry, I don't want to name it, still in good condition. And then other mm-hmm. stuff that I bought, oh, just a few months ago, and it's already ready for trash because right. it just the quality wasn't there. So right. I, I think especially those of us that are boomers, for sure, uh, we see the value proposition in getting the quality as, as part of that. A couple other questions before we wrap up. Just got a few more minutes here, Adam. What are the books that you are currently reading uh, that uh, you keep growing with or the people that you follow? Who are sort of the core, core sort of trend and developers that, that, that are mentoring you from afar? So for me, um, at the moment, uh, I'm mainly consuming podcasts, which is good news for you and others in that space, um, just because they're a little bit more mobile. And first thing in the morning, I have this habit, I roll over, I start a podcast. That's the very first thing I do. One that I'm particularly enjoying that I think every entrepreneur should listen to is called How to Start a Startup, which is um, by Y Combinator, who is one of the Silicon Valley's most famous and established incubator programs. And these lectures were at Stanford University and made available only to companies that were incubated originally. And pretty much every speaker has built a billion dollar company. So it's a phenomenal podcast. I also follow um, James Outicher. I follow um, uh, Tim Ferriss, um, just just because I like sort of their stuff. yeah, there's, there's several. I'm just trying to think. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. Well, it's interesting. Uh, and sorry to interrupt you, Adam, as you think there, but uh, uh, you know, even for us doing the podcast or others, is that that podcasts have been my source for the better part of five or six years. Exactly for right. the reason you talked about. You've got your iPhone. They download automatically. You're working out. You're driving. You're you're walking, you're whatever it is you're doing, you have it with you. And mm-hmm. so that you can consume it at one any level and if you stop it because you've got a meeting that's come in, then you can just restart at any time, just in time consumption, which is really uh, when you think about some of the work that we're doing too, that it, it just affirms that, that whole space of um, owning and having the podcasts that really serve you. So I, I, Adam, yeah. thank you for all of that. So, go ahead. No, I was just going to say kids today coming up of just these millennials and so on, it's just they have such an advantage because of podcasts. They get these organic, real chats like this between people that are doing stuff that are a bit further down the line that you just can't even pick up in a book. You know, they have access to Stanford University lectures with billionaires. You know, it's just extraordinary technology. I just think it's amazing. <laughs> it is. Uh, you know, uh, I got in this business, Adam, in before, and I... I 
I keep mentioning on different shows, before there was email. And yes. I was wow. flying and commuting across the country, uh, working as the senior consultant for Chrysler. And I commuted to Detroit from the West Coast for nearly a year because we didn't have email to do the program development. So I was an airplane every week going back and forth for a year. And that is 90-something. And how wow. fast have we come? Oh, or how far have it we come? It just blows my mind. How fast? <laughs> And I still remember since, you know, I live in Vancouver, Canada, and Seattle's where Jeff started Amazon, where everybody said he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. And look where Amazon has gone now. Wow, yeah, incredible. <laughs> For sure. So, Adam, you have a, you have a website, and I, I want to get some closing remarks from you, but I want to make sure that people know you have a website where you do some online education. Just share that with the uh, listeners and what some of the course content is. Yeah, it's www.reliable.education. It's the full word education and there's no.com it's just reliable.education that will find us so we, we have two courses one's just totally free it's like a taster course teaching people over four videos the basics of Amazon and our approach to it uh, I take you inside my home I show you physical products that I would or wouldn't sell and why I teach the financial metrics of the Amazon platform who gets what and how the margins work and all that stuff and then if you decide that you like that and you like me and you like the style and you want to actually do our paid program um, it's got four components. So it's got the actual online course. It's about 80 videos that range from live action videos like me in China and the factories that I buy from talking about why I'm there, what I'm doing and how it works and you know other parts of the world. And then there's recorded instruction where I'm narrating actually inside the Amazon platform or supplier platforms like Alibaba and then like webinars and so on. So there's a whole bunch of online content that's self-paced. Then we have a, a private Facebook community where students in 16 countries around the world and through that we also connect you with other students if you want to form a mastermind either in person or uh, online and we give you a framework for the mastermind meetings that happen monthly. Uh, usually they're up to about seven or eight people and we give you confidentiality agreements between each other so you can disclose and discuss. But the power of a mastermind is accountability. So education without accountability or anything in life without accountability is often a problem. And then we do live events. So we've got two conferences a year um, and we do meetups all over the place from LA to Melbourne in Australia to uh, China to everywhere. And so um, yeah, we have as well as Singapore. all over the world. As well as Singapore, of course. In fact, we do have a meetup coming up in Singapore and we have one coming up at the Canton Fair next month. So, uh, so it's a sort of an all-inclusive thing. But the course, the big course does end-to-end absolutely everything from importing, sourcing, risk uh, management, um, the financial side, you know, selling, marketing, the whole, everything you would need to know step-by-step on how to source, import, brand, photograph, sell, you know, and grow. Thank you, Adam. I sure appreciate that information. You know, as you think about, uh, you know, your expertise around Amazon, I just, what would be the final couple of comments for the listeners if you are mentoring me and you're saying, okay, here are the qualities and characteristics that uh, really you want to recommend that people embrace, consider, uh, develop going forward, and based on your history and your experience, what would that be? 
I would say that if you're looking to start a business on Amazon, we have to build a business case as to why your product, the one that you want to sell, has got a real competitive advantage within the context of that product on Amazon. That is the most important thing. There's a lot of courses that teach, oh, the product almost doesn't matter, you've just got to be good at marketing. In every business, the product matters, <laughs> the service matters, mm. and it's not, you know, it, it requires thought and a, a, an education around the softer things. A lot of times people are like, what software do you use to track um, which products are selling the most? That doesn't mean anything. You know, software is fine. You can buy it for 50 bucks a month, but it still doesn't give you the nuanced stuff, that insight that a human eye and brain has to figure out. Mm. So be prepared to do, do the work and uh, be able to answer those very basic business questions like what is the, the sustainable competitive advantage of what you're selling? Um, and and be, be a little contrarian, you know, if it's easy for you to get into that business, then it's easy for anybody, if it, you know, it's so um, anywhere with as high margin, uh, source, you can source it in the US, uh, it's kind of sexy and appealing, for example, beauty products, a lot of ladies who speak to, oh, I'd love to have my own beauty line, but so does everybody else, and <laughs> the margins are high and it's sexy and it's fun to tell your friends. But at the end of the day, uh, what is your competitive advantage? So you really want to be sort of analytical and calm and, and know the metrics of what you're doing and mm. what your margins are because it's not about being the best seller on Amazon. It's about being the most profitable because turnover does not equal leftover. You know, I'm not interested in turnover. I'm interested in leftover. So we, we approach it very pragmatically and calmly to give you the outcome that you want rather than a good story to tell uh, without the money attached. Thank you. Well, thank you, Adam, for uh, being with us today. Uh, we've had Adam Hudson on our program. If you want to learn more about his uh, programs, reliable.education, and go there and take a look. And then maybe, maybe we're going to have some Secrets of Success listeners who are going to become multimillionaires or even just uh, some extra income to cover off some of those expenses. Well, like we have on every show, I just encourage you, you know, we started the show off with Adam just talking about, uh, you know, qualities and characteristics and just paying attention and being curious, being patient. Uh, a lot of times in this impatient world, we're trying to do things, you know, get rich quick uh, when we know that the majority of that, that's not true. And as I always ask at the end of every show, if you're enjoying what we're doing, if this is serving you, I just very much appreciate it. if you can share this with your friends, pass them forward, let other people know about the Secrets of Success podcast. And as always, I just want to thank you for joining us. My name is Dr. Ken Keyes, and you've been listening to Secrets of Success podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for exploring the Secrets of Success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.